amplified impact for multi-passionate female entrepreneurs turning their gifts into assets. This is a space to open your heart even deeper as you learn how to tune into your mission and connect with your clients, the ones who you dream to serve, and create massive impact in their lives. I'm here to inspire you to take time for yourself so you can be the leader in your life and your business, one who stands out and thrives. This is the place where women just like you create wealth from the inside out. Welcome, Amber. Amber's coming to us from Costa Rica today. Yay. So welcome, Amber. Just to start off with, do you want to introduce yourself and a little bit about your background to the group? Yeah, thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to get to know everyone and share a little bit. My name is Amber Hagberg, as she mentioned. I moved to Costa Rica eight years ago. I sold everything I owned to start my retreat business, and <laughs> I had no idea what I was going to get myself in for. I just knew that I wanted to create these transformational experiences. I was an avid yogi, a yoga teacher, and I desired to live on the beach, learn to surf, and create these experiences for others. The journey has been so, yeah, you just can't plan where your next step is going to be in, in that. Like you have a dream, you have a vision, and you just don't even know what's going to manifest when you do tar start to take these steps of like into the unknown. I'm not sure where I'm going. I just know what's drawing me there. And yeah, I moved here with an ex-boyfriend. We had this dream to build a retreat center. That didn't work out. And so when I decided to leave, I was like, I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to lead retreats. And then I went on to lead retreats in Australia, India, Hawaii, Morocco, and now mostly here in Costa Rica, my home country that I tried to leave and it just keeps calling me back. <laughs> the last time it called me back, it was with a baby and my husband. So I don't think we're going anywhere far um, anytime soon. And yeah, so my, my yoga journey brought me into teaching yoga teacher trainings, leading retreats. I started coaching people online how to run retreats, how to create online programs that lead into retreats, and how to do retreats that lead into online programs so that you can start to add profit. And for me, it's just really like, retreats being this aspect of like how can we grow one step deeper and um, as we were mentioning on the live that we did just the other day it's like it can be a day-long retreat it can be two day long it can be a week long like you can take and choose how long you want that transformation but when we're online I'm grateful I get to see all your beautiful faces wherever you are in the world and I get to be in Costa Rica and what really opened up the doors for me is when I went to learn how to reach more people for my retreats, I had no idea that having an online program and an online business was going to be the funnel that filled my retreats to grow more visibility in who I am and what I did. And so then they're like, are you going to quit doing retreats and yoga teacher trainings like once you get your online business? And I'm like, no, never. And then COVID-19 happened. And I was like, well, I, I guess actually I am. Um, and so then when I opened the doors to retreats, again, it was like they just started selling out. And it was because of my brand and my visibility online that then allowed me to fill these workshops and events in Costa Rica, which has been really cool. So excited to be here and yeah, answer any questions that you may have and share with you what I've learned along the way. Beautiful. So I have some questions that get started with Amber, but then we're going to open it up to your questions. Um, so Amber, I know you shared with me the other day when we spoke that 
preparation and planning is kind of the secret sauce that a lot of people do. It's one thing to have the idea, but then the, the prep and the planning is a big part of it. So can you talk a little bit about best practices in terms of planning and preparation, like how far out you should start to plan, how far out you should start to market your mm. retreat and those kind of logistical things? Yeah, the first thing that I like to start with is like, who are you marketing to? Who do you want to be? As I was sharing with you the other day, I call it get lost on your island tribe because you have to hang out with these people for a week or a day and you want to like them. You want to love them. You want to really be intentional on the creation of who's going to be there so that it's a safe space and it's the right people for the space that you're holding. But the reason that we start there is like, how far in advance are they going to book? And who are they, right? Because some people will plan their vacation a year in advance. Some people will plan it tomorrow. You know, it's like, are you, are you marketing to entrepreneurs? Are you marketing to yogis, free-flowing spirits? Are you marketing to teachers? Who are you marketing to? Because that's going to help you decide how soon you market it. I like to say 12 months, 12 months in advance with the knowing that most people are gonna sign up anywhere from three months to six months early, but mostly it's last minute. What we wanna do is go and curate different incentives to get them to sign on sooner and sign on now and make that decision now. But regardless, if you do 12 months in advance, you're building brand awareness and recognition that you are a retreat facilitator and that you're, you're being put on people's vision boards and they're not even telling you that you're, I'm gonna go to Costa Rica one day with Amber. And you know, it's so funny because one day I got tagged in a post and someone's like, what would you do if you had $2,500 right now? And someone tagged me, I'd go to Amber Hagbird's retreat. And I was like, who are you? Like, I didn't even know who she was. And she was like tagging me there. So it's like, when you do it 12 months in advance, it's not because people are going to start signing up right away. It's because people are putting you on their vision board. And then that gives you time to start planning and preparing it and also picking out the location and where you're going to go. And why I say start with who you're marketing to, because you want to think about where you're going to host it based on who you're hosting it for. Because if you're hosting it for yogis that want to go on a surf retreat, the pricing is going to be much different than if you're curating something luxurious for more business class. And so it's, it all starts with who, who you're doing it for, and that will begin your preparation process. Amazing. I love, you have some brilliant incentives to get people to book in that kind of early bird stage, which is so nerve wracking mm -hmm. <laughs> when you plan something so far in advance and you a lot of money on a place and destination. Can you run over some of your favorite incentives for them? Yeah, and the reason that I love to do incentives early is because you get to notice your market and what it is that makes them move and why it is that they, they sign on. And if you do 12 months in advance and you market for six months before you know most people will sign up and you use incentives correctly, you can get your deposit down before you have to pay out of pocket. Because one of the scariest things about retreats is you need to secure a spot. So picking the right spot with the right like rules, guarantees, regulations of how soon do you need to put down the deposit, how much do you need to put down to secure your spot, 
those first six months are really you getting signups to put down your deposit. And the moment you get one sign up, the evidence is like, okay, this retreat is happening. I have retreat money in the pocket. Someone's investing in this. And so you start to build more belief that it's happening as well. But what I would say is like, you can do discounted, like save $500, or you could do be the first one to sign on and save $500. Be the first one to sign on, save $500 or save $500. Think about the wording and how you place the wording in what makes people move. So it can be a discounted rate that gets people to sign on. It can be a bonus. You give them a coaching call with you. You give them access to a program that you have. You give them something that you already have put together or something that you can serve them a level deeper. So that's where it's an extra additional giveaway. You can do sign on with a friend. This one tends to work really well. It's like book with a friend and you each save $250 and then you sell two spots and not just one. And that really helps to get the wheels turning as well. When it, when it comes to giveaways, they're like, Amber, what should I give away? It's like, well, again, let's go back to who your audience is. What do they want from you? What do they ask you most for? And also let's think about Amazon. When you check out at Amazon and they're like, people also bought this, people also get this. What is compatible with your market, with your transformation, and how can you add that on? Like for example, I have a sold out retreat mini course and you get the course where I teach you everything inside my five steps into selling out retreats. And then the bundle or the package, the upsell is going to be done for you marketing templates, how to get confident in creating video marketing as well as contracts. So you think about the compatibility of the giveaway of the offer of the discount that's going to go hand in hand with the retreat. Some people are like, yeah, I want to go on a retreat, but like it never lasts. It doesn't say there's a bonus one-on-one -on -one coaching call after. There's a bonus integration week after the retreat. There's a bonus if you sign up before this date, you get to come to the group coaching call after the retreat to make sure that you keep those things that you learn, implement them into your life. Because it's one thing to go on a retreat, change your life. It's another thing to go on a retreat, change your life and take those practices home with you. And so getting to know who you're marketing to, what it is that they desire. And I always coach to pick something every single month to test. What makes people sign on based upon the giveaway that you have? So when you're setting out your marketing strategy, each month you'll have an incentive. And then every time you do an event or you do a retreat, you can come back and be like, oh, when I had the discount or the pricing, most people bought Oh, when I had this program, most people bought. And something else that you can do to get people to pay in full or payment plans is offer incentives as well. So when I first launched my recently my December retreat, I was like, hey, if you sign up and pay in full, you're going to get access to my new program, Radiate. And I got so many emails, what's Radiate? Because I think I want to join that too. And that helps also for your deposit. Yeah, it's a really good question. And that's something that I personally in my life and business and I'm, I'm constantly testing. It comes down to a couple things like who your market is, who you're advertising to. And then also like I'm thinking about the seasons, winter time. I'm from Iowa. My sister lives in Colorado. It's cold. People want to get away from the winter. 
but maybe you live in say California, right? And it's not necessarily a cold winter and you love the summer there. You might not come here, but in Costa Rica, for example, our rainy season is your fall, your winter, going into your winter. And then our summer is actually your winter. So my retreats in December always do way better than my retreats in April. And I realize, like I'll get 12 to 14 people that come in December and I'll get six to eight people that come in April because people don't necessarily want to travel in April like they do in December. And so I'm learning what my audience wants and you get to know who your audience is and when they're most likely going to leave where they're at. Like when does your people want to go on vacation? When are they thinking? Is it when the kids are in school? Is it when the kids are out of school? Is it when they're working or when they're not working? It's just, you know, it, it, it's very personalized in when to host retreats based on where you're going and also who you're having go where you want to go. I love your advice on collaborations mm -hmm. and partnerships. Can you share a little bit about when you're working with someone for the first time in the context of a retreat? Yeah. Collaborations are really nice to get started if you've never done retreats or workshops because it's it's a fifty it can be a fifty fifty split of the advertising and the marketing, the space holding, playing with numbers, getting the location, all the logistics. And it's a catch-22 because you want to you wanna hope that you um, – sorry, my, I just had a flicker of internet. Am I still here? You're still here. It's <laughs> Costa Rica. <laughs> okay, so I'm like, wait a minute. What happened? Okay. Um, it's catch-22 because if you've never gone into business with them, you want to make sure that they're going to show up equally. And so how do we make the split? And I get this question often, if I have someone come and just teach a workshop, do they get 50% of the income, the profit? If I have someone come and just teach the yoga classes, but I'm the one putting it together, marketing it, planning the food, organizing it from start to finish, how much do I pay them? How integrated into this business partnership are you going to go? And then we have a pretty little contract that says, if you do this and I do this and you do this and I do this, this is the split. And we can also have a, okay, at the end, we'll talk about the profit split based upon who does what. You can also do it in a way that's like, you get your commission and I get my commission. So we co-create the experience together and as many participants as you have, you get that percentage. And as many participants as they have, you get that percentage so that you can be sure that it's an equal split because we all wanna host retreats. The hardest part is getting people to come to the retreat. So some people, as you and I mentioned when we were on our live, it's like some places will be like, just come here and host a retreat at my place. Like I would love to have you. They would love to have you because they just don't have guests yet. And so when you think about it that way, you're doing everything. So you want to make sure that the partner businessship is equal in the amount of work that it takes because the logistics, the planning, the space holding, there's so much energy that goes into a retreat because it's not like I show up and I lead the retreat. It's everything that happens before up until the point that they get there. And then who's organizing when a plane is late, when the shuttle doesn't show up, when someone's mom dies, like all of those things happen. 
Then you have the experience of the retreat, which if any of you have ever led a retreat before, then you know that that's a lot of work to hold the transformation that unfolds. And there's little fires that sometimes need to get put out and people that come together. There's always like, there's always initiations and retreats, which is a reason that I love hosting retreats myself is because I'm growing too in this curation of what happens. You know, you're kind of stepping into the fire of being the embodiment of your work when you lead retreats as well. And so just looking at what type of business relationship that you want to have. And I always come back to my dad's like little piece of advice is don't ho don't um, work with anyone that you're friends with or is in your family if you want to keep that relationship. And I don't always agree. I just think that before you go into it, hopefully you know this person really well or it's really clear in the contract of what's expected of both parties. And even if that means like at the end that you guys decide that there's a pretty contract in the end that just keeps you safe from putting in more work than, you know, your partner does. Amazing. Amazing. I think the advice with the, the checking out where you're going to post the retreat, if they have their own client base, you know, and you're bringing people in addition to that versus a cold venue that might be new where it's all on you. Yeah, there's some long-established um, retreat centers in California where I'm very familiar with where people come there to be there in that place, and it's almost secondary. To, like, this weekend works for me, and the teacher's secondary to the experience, which will be a lot easier for you to fill than it will be when everything is on you. Yeah, I think that's a really important point for everybody out there. Marketing your retreat. So Amber is an Instagram superstar. If you follow her, <laughs> you are, you are, um, so talented at it. But for those people who aren't super social media savvy, um, how do you best recommend marketing your retreat? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I look at social media as just an extension of the work that you do. I like to make social media easy, like the content creation easy, just by sharing your life, your life experiences, your process and, and the way in which you live your life. And so when it comes to marketing the retreat, it's like there's so many different ways in which we can sell something to sell a service, to sell a retreat, to sell a program. It, and each person is going to buy for a different reason. Some people will come on a retreat because of the price. Some people will come on a retreat because of the location. Some people will come on a retreat because of what's involved. Some people will come on the retreat just because it's you. And so what you want to do when you're selling a retreat is a lot of it happens on the back end. It's sacred invitations to people that you think would be a good fit and having them, inviting them into your retreat. And then on the front end, it's, it's selling the benefits. It's selling the details. It's selling the location. But most importantly, it's selling the transformation that this holds. It's your passion for why you want to do retreats. And it's your vision for the retreats that's going to attract people that are interested. It's like for me, like Costa Rica is one of the most healing places. And so many people are like, Amber, I'm going to move to Costa Rica one day. And I'm like, yeah, you might. But I don't think you know what's behind the paradise. Like if you've ever tried to go to the bank, if you've ever tried to buy a property, if you've ever tried to move money here, like there's so many things that I can promise you if you're not ready to do the inner work, 
Costa Rica is not going to be the place for you to live. And that's the same thing with retreats. Why are we passionate about retreats? Because of the transformation. What happens when we just put our blinders on and we focus on the heart, when we focus on certain practices and transformations that go to unfold and that's what you're selling. You're not selling the details in the place. And yes, there will be people that buy for those reasons, which is why we have to highlight those reasons. But looking at just using your social media platform, like flyers, word of mouth, those sorts of things work, but it's limited to who sees it. Whereas if you're posting content, you can reach so many more people. You have the ability to just amplify your impact. Really, you do. And so using the different ways in which you can sell your offer, and if it's one, two, three, four, five, ten benefits, put that into your content strategy of like selling these benefits one, one reel at a time. Going live once a month and just getting passionate and lit up about your retreat and sharing what's going to happen and why you want this to come together and what your vision is for it. And that's going to sell your retreat. It's just you sharing your vision, your passion, your purpose, what the overall arching is. And you can never talk about what you do and what you're passionate about too much because in the world of online media now and marketing, people need to see your stuff anywhere from seven to 32 times before they buy. And sometimes we think we're doing it too much. No, you're doing it too little and you're worried about up here, but like someone just needs to see it one more time. And I constantly get that reminder, like, am I doing too much? Am I sharing too much? And it's like, someone's like, oh, I finally seen that. I was like, I saw that post and I just had a conversation with a woman that's like, oh my gosh, I found your podcast. And there I was like thinking maybe I'm doing too many podcasts and she found my podcast. She found my retreat because of my podcast. So the moment that we start questioning what we're doing, there's going to be an angel out there that comes in and reminds you just keep sharing about what it is that you offer because there's someone that's on the fence right now that just needs you to make that post one more time. And if you don't, then you're doing a disservice to your community. So talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Beautiful. I'd love to open it up to you guys now. Do we have a question? Patricia, go for it. Okay, so it's hard. No, about now. Yes, just leave. Yeah. Okay, I'll move in. Um, so if you say you just want to do a day long event or maybe a two day long event, what would be? Is there a concluded lead in time for marketing? If not, twelve months out. Yeah. So if you're going to do an in-person event, it might be like a month. It could be three months, but like, I think if it's going to be one or two days, like it's short. Like for example, I'm working with one of my clients right now. She's going to host a December retreat. She just started marketing it and sold it out in one week just from behind the scene invitations of her current clientele because it's local, because it's affordable, because it was with their person. And so you can start launching that event behind the scenes a few months out and you might sell it out before you even need to open it to the public when it's local and it's like less of an investment of time, money, right. energy, resources. Okay, thanks. I think what, what really stops me sometimes from doing workshops, local, local workshops is venues and how do you go about 
looking for venues and and how do you work that whole thing in terms of payment I mean I see parks sometimes that I think oh that would be a nice place but I, I have no idea how to go about looking for venues and then securing the venue yeah, it's a good question. Something that I like to teach is it, it's just like if you're going to go on a vacation somewhere, you just start researching the area that you're going to go and you're using Google as your friend to find different locations and you can type in retreat center, you can type in yoga studio, you can type in parks and starting to ask people, you know, your, your network is going to help you like, Hey, I want to host a retreat. Hey, I want to host a two day workshop. Do you have any recommendations? And using recommendations to get you started and then using your friend Google and then just driving around and stopping and asking different places. And it is a big investment. But I also look at it like if you're going to have a wedding, it takes time to find out where and to research different places and different prices. And then you're going to pick your top three. Like it might take you, you know, you think about planning a wedding or some sort of event that's bigger. It might take you three months to find your top five or your top three and then you're going to compare pricing for the day, for two days, and then you can negotiate it if it's not like a really high sought after place, as Casey was mentioning that it's some places they just bring people in and it's the location that sells itself and not necessarily the teacher. And so you can look at weighing those options. And if you're just beginning, I like to recommend finding a place that's just beginning because then it's a really equal partnership where they're going to give you more for your deposit and they're going to give you more time for marketing it and they're going to help you because they're up and starting too. So it's just like a little hack of like, there's many places that are just beginning and they have a vision for bringing people in. And so when you have a vision for bringing people in that, that they can, you can create a partnership with them. Like here in Costa Rica, many people message me and they're like, Hey, I see you do retreats. Do you want to host here? And that gives me, instead of needing to put down my deposit a year in advance, they'll give me 30 days in advance. Um, and so really it is just taking some time to ask first, ask around, put your feelers out there, talk to people that you know that you think would be able to help you. And then it's starting to research on Google and then it's finding like, what are your three options? And sometimes it is nice just to have like a park, a park place that has like enough um, tables and chairs and picnic tables and that sort of thing that you can co and host. Like I have a client that does that. She does like a little mini potluck and a gathering in a certain location in Colorado. And that's something that you can do is like everyone brings their own mats, they bring their own shawls to sit on the ground. It's like can be a potluck style. But then once you have your top three, then just finding out how soon in advance do you need to put down the deposit. And once you figure out how much the day or the two days is going to cost you, then you start to do the math at how many people do you need to break even? How many people do you need to reach to get paid what you desire to get paid for planning and putting this event on. And then you're going to have your, your target numbers. And then when you have your target numbers, before you go to market it, you have to have like, okay, if I don't have this many people by this date, if I don't have min this many people by this date, like what is your cutoff? And is there a cutoff? Are you willing to host it no matter what? And I was mentioning the other day on our live that we did together, the first few retreats I did, I paid out of pocket because I didn't have these systems in place. And so thinking too, I want to let you guys all know, especially if you're into to marketing in any form, people sign up last minute. So in my very first retreat that I ever had, six people signed up 
less than 30 days before my international Costa Rica retreat. And I didn't even think that was actually possible. And I just, I kept showing up and I kept leaving and I kept going for it. And it, it ended up happening six people 30 days before the retreat. I don't even know where they came from or why they decided to wait till last minute, but especially when it's local. People will sign up the day before, which is why the incentives are so important to get people signing up more in advance. And sometimes it's just really being able to have the mindset, hold the vision and know that like 70% of people sign up last minute. And that if you can hold the energy of your vision and your why long enough, the people will come. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, I can add, I've done hundreds and hundreds of events in my career. And yeah, most of the registrants come in the last 72 hours. It's so nerve-wracking. <gasps> the amours of advice of like hold the line and keep showing up and keep showing up right until the very end pays off almost always. Yeah, it's just really nail-biting for sure. So Amber, I had another question about logistics. So we have some folks in our group who happen to have the gift of they are chefs or they're married to chefs. Mm. <laughs> so I'd love for you to touch on food and logistics and kind of all the other pieces, you know, that go beyond but serve the, the transformation and experience of the group. Some best practices or cautionary tales or lessons you've learned around food and kind of the other um, amenities of the event. Yeah. So something I always say is like, you don't want hangry people. <laughs> and if you're going to be hosting and having food, like knowing the food is so important and knowing what their dietary restrictions are. And so one thing that you want to look at is, do you want the chef to be included in the location? Because that's going to decide like how much more you're going to pay in addition to the accommodation if you need to hire an external chef. Or is the chef price actually included into your retreat center? And that's going to help you to do the numbers. If they have a chef included, knowing what type of food they cook, what type of options that they have. Is it vegetarian, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free? You know, the list goes on. What what can they provide to make sure that it's going to be a good fit for you and your clients when they come as well? And then, you know, creating a list, uh, a rough draft of what people will cook. Something I have my chef do is give me an itinerary of what's going to be on and so that I can look how is that in alignment with the classes and the workshops that we're going to be doing. So you really want to think about the food and how it's going to par well with the workshops and the activities that you're doing. Because the last thing that you want to do is eat a really heavy meal and then go do yoga or go for a run. And so thinking about what you eat based upon, and this is something, so for me, I had a chef come and her and I have done the last few retreats together and she's like okay I'm gonna cook this heavy meal because you're gonna go hiking and you won't be home till later okay I'm gonna cook this nurturing meal because they've been traveling and they're gonna want to ground when they arrive so it's like looking at the activities in alignment with the food and preparation so my retreats tend to be like vegetarian because it's just like this detox eating whole real foods but some people come and they've been eating different types of foods and that makes them feel a certain way. And if they need to feel 
safe when they arrive, tell them they can bring their jerky sticks or, you know, have their food hidden in their bedrooms if they need to. It's, it's warning your guests ahead of time of what the food is to be expected so that they can prepare. And then also when you're opening the ceremony, talking about why you've set things up in a certain way. So really, I do bring a lot of attention to the food, food being an energy, how that's going to affect our energies and what's going to happen. And then also just giving people an idea in advance what it's going to be like and asking in advance what it is that they need or what it is that they can't have so that, you know, someone with a peanut allergy doesn't accidentally get peanuts. And if they do, hopefully, you know, that's something that you guys can have a conversation of in in the scene of when it happens, because that definitely has happened to some of my clients in the past. And so food is something that you really do want to prepare. And if you don't know the chef, lucky for some of you that do know the chef. If you don't know the chef, it's getting like recommendations from who it is. I always like want to know like other people that have had a good experience with cooking food because that is one of the biggest deals and making sure that it's on time. The last thing you want is people to show up and have to wait an hour for the food when they've been there. It's like we our life revolves around food and so that can be like something that turns your really amazing retreat south is like just not having a good food experience. So putting that into place ahead of time. And then for other like logistics, if it's like international or something like that, there's two things that you can do. It's like included is transportation or not included in transportation. It's something that you can help with. And both of them have their benefits, like organizing transportation means everyone needing to arrive at a certain time, otherwise they have to get their own transportation or just like letting that be a part of the journey is them having to arrive. This is if it's, you know, international or like local, they'll probably arrive in their own cars and that sort of thing, but having good parking. And then when you're looking at like different activities that you're going to be including, I was mentioning this in our live the other day too. It's like digestion period. Oftentimes we want to create this transformational experience. So we just put everything in, but there's no time to retreat. And we forget that because we just want to serve and we want to give. But the retreat is like, I want to connect to myself and I want to be. And so having nice space in between, even if it is a two-day event where you can digest, especially if you're doing more trauma, trauma healing and that sort of things that's going to bring up energy and that comes into the logistics too is like how you plan your workshops like do you throw them into deep workshops or do you let it slowly gradually them get to know you like when do you put your workshops at certain places and so there's so much intentionality that comes with the logistics and where you place certain workshops and sometimes you know you do start with this this really deep workshop because your intention is to break the ice right away and other times you might come in with that intention and then as you're having the opening call or you're having the opening vision, you're having the open conversation, you're getting to realize some of these people have their guard up and you're like, I don't think that workshop's going to go good tonight. I'm going to switch this out. And so being able to adapt along the way as a yoga teacher, I always said, come so prepared, know exactly what you're going to teach, know the theme, know the class, know the class, know the, the the outline and be prepared to crumple it all up and throw it away when you feel the energy and you arrive. So it's like being so prepared, but also like being flexible because sometimes we have this idea and then we get to know our community, we get to know our retreaters and we have to be willing to let go of the plan just as they have to be able to let go of the plan. And something I say like in the opening ceremony, I always say, 
this is the schedule. But if there's anything I can promise you that we will change the schedule. So it's like some people, they want to know the schedule and they want to know what's going to happen. And they're very A type, but they have to be willing to go with the flow because retreats are a co-created experience. And if there's anything that I can really give in that is that retreats are a co-creation. Oh. Am I here? You're here. Yes. <laughs> okay. So I don't know what just happened. Uh, we got it. Okay. Um, so yeah, the co-creation of experience, be prepared to have a really great plan and that you are in an energy vortex that there will be external factors that it's not always going to go the way you plan. Amazing. Anybody else have questions? I have a ton more, but who else? Yeah, I'd like to chime in. Yeah. Um, I'm a personal chef, I'm a chef so I've uh, done a lot of retreats as it's also being part of the retreat and cooking, which is, you know, it's a little juggling act, but it's, you know, I've made it work. And then just being hired as a chef to cook for a retreat. And yeah, all those things you're saying, Amber, I, you know, I always check to make sure, okay, who's, what dietary uh, needs or, you know, that people need, that I need to know about so that I can accommodate them. And, and so I, I create my menus that have a lot of, leeway to you know, to move you know, to, to, to be able to create different things uh, if you know like the nut allergies are, of course I always make sure to find out about that I used to have a partner she was uh, uh, had an anaphylactic reaction to nuts so I'm very well aware of of what how that would affect people um, to be, being conscious of that but it's also great because people like the fact that oh, want to know what I like. And, you know, I mean, there's also those people who are gluten-free and you know, have various lifestyles. Um, and, you know, I, I found that it's uh, it's been a really great experience because a lot of times, I you know, I, have, I invite people to come into the kitchen to experience the energy of the food they're prepared. And that's, that's something, you know, for small numbers. I mean, not, you know, super large numbers, but I found that that's been really, uh, really helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Somebody else had their hand. Okay. Jill. Hi, thank you so much for all of this. It's so helpful. Um, I think the part where I still feel a little bit um, overwhelmed with doing like a, a bigger retreat is figuring out the cause beforehand to make sure that there's not things that come up where I'm actually losing money or, you know, so I'm wondering if you have a formula. Yeah, good question. So it is something I teach inside of my mini course. It's like the budget to hit 10K, whatever your number is, a budget. But what you're going to do is you're always going to leave a gap because there's always surprises. So what I look at is like, okay, how much is food? How much is accommodation? How much is transformation? What is included? Just the bare minimum food, accommodation, and the place. And so you have your bare numbers. And when you have your bare numbers, okay, I need six people to cover the cost. I need three people to cover the cost. After I get six people, I get to hit my, I'm not doing this without making this number. And then you start to add on massages, teachers, uh, excursions, but you have a bare num number to hit to the budget of the basics. 
And then you have a bare number to hit that's going to pay you what you want to get paid for before, during, and after. And once you hit those numbers, that's when you get to have fun in your marketing and say, hey guys, guess what? I just added on a full spa day. If you know someone that wants to come on this retreat, they need a day of a spa, invite a friend and save $250. And so every single time you add something new, you sell it to your group as like, hey, I guess what? I just added something new on. So they get more excited they're planning for it and then you can give them an affiliate link so that if they bring someone with they're going to get a commission as well and that's really helpful for getting your current audience and your current retreaters on board to help you market the retreat because when you're adding different things on now you're getting them more excited you're keeping them in the loop and you get to have more fun by curating the experience as you go along rather than we're like okay I'm going to put all of these things into a retreat and then you realize like you're paying for the experience rather than getting paid to create this transformational experience. So just having, and just knowing too, just the food, the accommodation and your gift, your magic, whether you're a teacher, a meditation, you have workshops, you have Reiki, whatever your gift is, it's just the food and the creation of the community that's transformational enough. We just need to retreat into the heart and that is enough. But we do have this idea of like, we want to make it extraordinary. And I know because that's what I want to do. But then we overgive from our pocket, from our energy. And then they're like, I need to go home and take a break because I just did way too much. There was no time to breathe. Like I wanted to come to Costa Rica and experience the birds, but I was going from this workshop to that workshop to this workshop. And so just knowing the spaciousness and just having and curating like a time of like, I don't need to think about cleaning my room. I don't need to think about making food. I don't have to clean up the food. I get to have good conversations. I'm being inspired not to check my phone. You can just think about the benefits of a retreat as the bare bones, the basics, and then just keep giving and adding more as revenue comes in to add in special little treats. That's awesome. Thanks, Aya. Patricia? Um, how about waivers, liability, where does he source those yeah, so basically what you want, I, I, I go really deep into this into one of my courses, but you really want to just zoom out of what's happening and be prepared for anything. So what happens if someone pays? Do they get a refund? Do they get a deposit? What happens after someone pays? Like, what is the promise? Like, what are you giving them? And then when you're going to look at like insurance, what is the insurance policies? If someone needs to cancel, you want to have every single thing in your contract that could possibly happen to be covered. And sometimes that means getting a lawyer, getting someone else's contract that they had a lawyer do. It's like really looking at anything that can possibly happen as far as like, what if they eat the wrong thing? What if their plane doesn't make it? What if you need to cancel? What if they need to cancel it's just like looking at everything beforehand that could possibly happen and then also getting advice from other people who have done retreats for something that you wouldn't think about but the, the contract really is let me see if I can just pull up my contract because this is a really really important conversation yeah here it is Yeah, so you're, you're thinking about the terms, okay, where is it, what are the dates, who are you buying it from, 
what's included having this on the contract exactly what they're going to get and exactly what they're not going to get then you'll have the payment terms what are the payment terms what are the conditions within the payments then you'll have any disclaimers around like your work trauma medical doctors therapists lawyers financial advisors coaching disclaimers of anything you know that's happening there just to be safe um, disclaimers and any testimonials like this is what happened for someone else it's no guarantee it's going to happen for you but this is the evidence of what happens when other clients have worked with me um, giving them full client responsibility so this is yours there are no guarantees and you're acknowledging that like the host isn't responsible for your transformation and you take full ownership of that um, intellectual property, anything that happens here, you cannot take it and use it somewhere else. You're releasing the ability and giving authorization to the host to take photos, videos, audios, recording for future marketing. Um, looking at the liability waiver, who's reliable and you're, you know, keeping yourself safe in the liability. Um, COVID-19, yes, that's still a thing, being sure that that is somewhere in your contract. Um, medical and health conditions, letting them know that they must tell you or you're not responsible for what happens. Uh, internet access and security, where it's available, where it's not available, things in Costa Rica, like, you know, people might get upset with you if there's no, there's no Wi-Fi. So I specifically put on my website that there is only internet in certain areas. Um, consent and release permission. So, you know, again, that's just asking that they can use content to be able to market. Um, travel documentation and insurance. Transportation, not responsible. If there's a delay, a cancellation, bus, don't make it to and from. Health and safety regulations. Lost or damaged items. Liabilities. And then other governing laws, good faith, entire agreement. So you can create this on your own or you can hire someone or you can use someone else's, but it is important just to think about all the things that could go wrong. And I always say, we don't, I don't like to be in the business part of business. I just want to lead the transformational retreat. And when we do host these events, the, the human comes up. And so to be prepared that you are safe if something happens. And I've just had the experience in my own life of like leading yoga teacher trainings and being the one that's attacked. And then years later being the one that's forgiven. And so I've just had a lot of experiences of being that person where I know it's like, okay, this is just for as someone's going through their process to protect me that when they're in their process, if I'm the one they want to take down, I'm safe. And knowing that your contract isn't because you want to, you know, get over on someone, but you just want to be prepared in the event that something goes wrong. Great advice. Thank you. Amber, I have a question around a lot of folks in this group have memberships, ongoing memberships and longer containers, six month containers, year long containers. How do you feel about hybrid retreats with a program? within a program where someone's with you for six months and then at the end or the anchor of a container is a retreat experience. Do you have any advice? Like do you put the retreat at the very end as kind of the cherry to look forward to at the end of the container together? Is there a reason to do it closer to the beginning to deepen the bond between everybody? I just love your thoughts on kind of creating hybrid 
treat programs? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it, it, it comes down to personalization and testing things out. When I first started my online business, I had it as you went through the three month live your yoga mentorship. And then you came to Costa Rica and you really got to bond and go deeper into all that you've learned together. And I loved that because it was just like this package deal. And then I've also had it where I hosted a retreat and then the what's next was the program. And so the people that met on the retreat got to keep the connection and go through the six months where it was like, all right, I went on the retreat and now I want to make sure that I integrate that into my life. I'm going to be connected to you for the next six weeks after the retreat. And I also see the benefit of like going into this way of life for three months and then coming and celebrating those, you know, three months that you spent together. And I don't think you can get it wrong. I think it's just experiencing and seeing what the difference is and what would be the benefit of like breaking the ice, everyone getting to know each other and then going back to implement it versus everyone implementing and then coming together to really celebrate all the work that they've done. And I love that business model because of the depth that it brings and the connection it brings to your clients, but also like when I did it where it was the program and then the retreat there's people that came on the retreat that became friends in the program that like now they talk every single day, you know, and I'm not even a part of the relationship, you know, they, we still talk, but it's like they became best friends because of it. And so I really love that business model because of the depth that you bring to other people. And for me, it's like, I'm a connector and I love bringing cool people together and, you know, helping other people find their person. And so when you're doing it in this way, just thinking about like, how would you like to experience it? What would you experience if you went on a retreat after knowing these people for three months and then being like, I finally get to see you in person, but I feel like I already know you versus like, I had no idea who you were and now we get to continue to know each other after and just playing around with it. Love it. Anybody else? Ask another. Oh. <laughs> um, maybe about content and how you come up with, I mean, content, because there's so many things that we could do workshops about. And is there a narrowing down process that you go through? Or is it just an inspiration that you have and then you build around that? I'm just. Yeah, good question. So I. Um, you don't follow me on Instagram right now, but my uh, my vision is helping multi-passionates pillar down their business to create content based upon their passions. And so you look at like your top five life experiences, your top five gifts, your top five what it is that changed your life and how you live your life. And those are like, those are like, you know, it's like this big umbrella of your business and it can be five different passions. And so each one of those passions has different things that you can teach, talk and educate on. And each one of those things can be a program, but the five of them together could be one program. The five of them together could be one retreat. And so you really get to decide, like, for example, like in, in my business, I do, um, do, do like embodiment work and transformational. And so my, my workshop right now, my retreat that's coming right now is like, 
the soul awakening retreat to awaken what your gifts are, to awaken your confidence, to get more clarity on like, why are you here? What are you passionate about? But that's just like one pillar of my business because I also teach business strategy. I also teach content. I also teach retreats. And so this is just one aspect of my business, but it's a pillar in my overall under umbrella. So for you, you can think about like what you're launching this year, what you're teaching this year, what you're most excited about, and then letting that be part of your business is the retreat and what the retreat theme is can be in alignment to a program or a mentorship that you're offering right now. And then when you do it again next year, it can be another pillar that just goes a little bit deeper into what this retreat was. Thank you. Anybody else? All right, well, our final question, Amber, for folks that are doing their first retreat ever, 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 do you have some advice for, for them? Yeah, first retreat ever, I would say just making sure that you give yourself plenty of time, like putting it down onto paper, the first thing, why? What are you passionate about? What do you want? Like, if you can just like take a moment, sit and think about like me on my final day of my retreat, what are they feeling? What are they thinking? What just happened for them? And that's what you create from. And then that's how you choose the location. What environment, we're a product of who we hang out with and where we are. Where could you take them to be in alignment with that end vision? And then when you're thinking about, okay, I know that my clients are going to feel this. And I like to like think about envisioning like one by one, their thank yous, the end circle, and really feeling that before you go to create. And then you reverse engineer, where could I be that puts me in that place that helps me to activate that end result for them? And then what workshops, what am I gifted at? What could I put into the schedule? Where could I create that? And then when you go to choose a location, like I was mentioning to someone before, think about it as big of a deal as like planning a wedding. It is a big investment to find your first location. And it is intimidating to like reach out to them and, you know, putting together uh, a letter that just says, hey, I want to host a retreat on this date. What are your pricing? What are your terms and conditions? How can we go into partnership? Like putting that together in advance as well with, you know, sending it out to the top three to five. And you don't have to go to the location, but sometimes you go to Sedona or you go to this magical place in California or you go to Costa Rica and you just know I'm bringing a group here. That's good because you've been there before. But if you don't, just have a really long conversation with the person that's helping you book this place. Like they do a video, you read the reviews, you just trust your intuition on the location that you choose. But once you've chose the location and you put down the deposit and then starting to plan out your marketing, you know, three people right now that you would love to take on a retreat, invite those three people. And then you market it. And then after you start marketing it, make sure that you have a list of people that have reached out. And for me, like it is follow up with people that are interested that you need to continue to follow up with because they want to, they just need your help. And something that I also was just telling a client yesterday, if someone is like 
telling you something. Oh, I want to come on your retreat, but what about this? Oh, I want to do this, but what about this? Create content for them. Talk to them because there's several other people in your community that are having that same thought. They're just not telling you and they're going to be like, how does she know? I'm thinking that. How does she know that's what I'm feeling? And it's like, well, because someone else is. So they're just mirroring to you like what people in your community are. And then also asking yourself like, Something that I talk a lot about in in my marketing and messaging is like, you want to talk to past versions of you. So what are your fears around going on a retreat? When you wanted to go on a retreat, why didn't you? Create content for them, that past version of you, and why did you decide to go? Create content for that version of you that decided to go. And if there's any piece of advice, if you have a desire to lead retreats, it's because it's meant for you. Not everyone does. There's so many people that are like, no, thank you. I don't want to do that. You're being initiated into a deeper level of trust in your vision and in your business and in your life. And there's something that you're going to learn for yourself. So it's like really hold that vision that like Rumi says, what you seek is seeking you. And the only way that we can do it is to get uncomfortable. Let it be messy the first round and just know like, I talk a lot about sold out retreats and people are like, yeah, but my first one didn't sell out. And it's like, well, Michael Jordan didn't get that many one-time shots because he did it once. How many times did he miss? So it's like, you have to think about retreats in your business as long-term vision and you will sell out if this is something you really see as like a staple and a, a business pillar. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much, Amber. Um, Lots of other folks are going to be watching this on the replay. So can you share where to find you and a little bit more if people want to do a deep dive with you in your course? Um, yeah, goodbye, everybody. Um, where to find you um, in your, your course specifically on building and designing retreats? Yeah, of course. So as uh, Casey mentioned, I'm on Instagram every day um, at Amber Hagberg. I also have a podcast, it's Amplified Impact, where you will find different things that I've talked about in here on creating content, selling out your retreat, being the embodiment of your work, uh, my retreats here in Costa Rica. And then if you want the mini course, it's $37. That's amberhagberg.com slash sold out retreats. Yeah, thank you. And if you do find me on Instagram, just say hi to me in Messenger so that I know it's you and I can follow you. I do like I run ads, which is how Casey and I found each other. So I just want to make sure that I get a deep in the relationship with you. And if you follow and send me a message, I'll be able to follow you back and say hi. Beautiful, beautiful. And to answer, um, it's H-A-G-B-E-R-G. Yes. Hagberg. Beautiful. Thank right, you. We'll see you next week, everybody. Recording stopped. Bye. Bye.